Hello and welcome to another episode of Sicker Than Most. I'm your host, Steve, and today I have a homie from pretty much my first day sober, my, probably my first week sober. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, good friend of mine. He was actually a, uh, a counselor at the treatment center I went to um, this most recent time when I got clean. And, um, you know, we've been boys ever since. You know, he uh, it started out, uh, moved out to Fresno, straight from San Jose, and... You know, I thought everyone in, in Fresno was kind of weird. I thought that there was like, you know, no one really listened to cool music or whatnot. And, you know, no one really knew no culture. Mm-hmm. And then um, I met Ronnie <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, yo, what type of music do you listen to? And he's all like, oh, Mac Dre, E-40, the Too Jacka. Short, The Jacka. The moment he said The Jacka, I knew. And I just, then I think I told him the story like where I was. I was in like math class junior year when i got the news that he died and like it was dude it was it was rough and then we'd like dude ever since then we just we hit it off you know i mean yeah man you were like one of those people so you know like working in treatment that you gotta have like those boundaries with people but you're like you know those people like i don't even want to give a fuck about those boundaries like (laughs) this is the homie but it it, you don't want to blur those lines but you're those people once he's not done being a client no more, like that's yeah, bad right boys. there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I remember, dude, we would uh, take the doctor's appointments <laughs> and we'd be out in this little, the little, we called it the druggy buggy because it was a little the mini, van. The Ativan. Yeah. Because it was this minivan, right? And he'd take us out to doctor's appointments, to meetings and stuff like that from rehab. And uh, I remember I had an appointment with, I think it was like one of like the regular doctors for whatever and i'm like ronnie can we like stop by like in and out burger and get some burgers real quick because i was trying to get some shit and then you're like yeah so we stopped by in and out you had ate all day that day because oh, you had right. to, you had to go fasted if it was a blood draw or something oh, like yeah that. yeah so then ronnie like you know being the homie that he is he's like all right so he's he we we whipped on over to in and out burger got myself a double double mm-hmm. and then on the way on the way home we're slapping it mind you this is like a honda minivan right like a honda odyssey like 2018 honda odyssey brand new just like total mom van and thousand miles on it oh fresh this shit was mint not even yeah and the sound system was flawless it was a very polished sound system you know so of course we had to throw the (laughs) The the stock stock had beat yeah we had to throw the slappers in the trunk real quick so we were we were bumping mac dre all the way back you know what i do that's right doing what i do ronnie's like i can neither confirm nor deny that he was hitting donuts on the way home but like you know steve might have been hanging out the windows with the i, I with might the, have uh, um what'd you what the hell was the hair you had the cornrows oh, yeah okay so we, we'll talk about that i had cornrow i had cornrow braids at the time my hair was all braided up so i thought i was the shit like i was like hanging out the window braids everywhere we got we got doing what i do by mac dre slapping all the windows open we're doing donuts into this brain <laughs> minivan you know and uh yeah, man, that's kind of just how like how like our friendship started. So I'm really stoked to see where this episode goes. You know, Ronnie has an incredible story. He's a uh, uh, just a phenomenal dude. Like he really is um, a living 
breathing example of what the what um, sobriety can do for someone. You know, um, he has you know, like he said, like he has an incredible story. Like he has a lot of he has had a lot of hardship, and he's gotten he's overcame a lot of obstacles. I don't even know his whole story. He's very humble and very modest about his story, so it should be interesting to see, you know what I already know and then what I don't know, you know? Um, and, um, yeah, man. So Ronnie, how's it going, buddy? It's going good, man. I can't complain. That's right. That's right. So what kind of, um, how did it start? Like you have a very, you have a very beautiful and full and happy life today. Yeah. But, uh, I can imagine it wasn't, wasn't like that back in the day. Like, you know, even before like, you know, you know, drugs and alcohol started, like how, what did it kind of look like? What did your life kind of look like? So even before everything, I feel like, like even, uh, you'll hear some of the boys say it, but I feel like I was like fucked to begin with. Mm-hmm. And it was just like the, the family setup. you know, what, what did that look like? My dad is an alcoholic, sold drugs, my mom, cocaine addict. And, um, you know, I don't even talk much about this, but I guess I guess I could get into it real quick. So, like my dad, he had got locked up, and uh, I know at some point, like we were living in uh, Salinas, and that's where I was born, and like my mom was collecting welfare, but then he got out, and they were like living together, but then my mom was gonna get in trouble for collecting the welfare, and so my dad, like basically. Uh, the, the, he started, uh, it was supposed to be collecting, uh, or, uh, what, the, what is that? The, the GR? No, 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 no. The, um, making child support payments. Oh, okay. He was supposed to, so, so to, to make it look anyways. So it racked, basically my dad had like years and years of child support payments when he was like there providing for us the whole time. So he was in a position where anywhere he worked it, like he never paid none of it. anywhere they worked they would garnish half of his check so my dad he was a solid dude but you know he could like work a regular job but it's like anywhere he went they took half his money and the, yeah. co- and the cost of living is crazy all over so he was like he was also an alcoholic and in the game so it's like he had to sell drugs you know that was and, right. um, to make ends meet pretty yeah much. yeah yeah and so and you know people in my family like all my cousins did that my godfather you know it was always in prison my god brothers they're all gang members and so that it was like i feel like you know i was just a product of the environment that i grew up in right right yeah so yeah basically um alcoholic addict parents um you know i remember i remember being like a little kid maybe like four or five years old and i remember seeing like my dad's beer key drunk budweiser he was a straight Budweiser drinker, and I remember like looking in the sink and telling my mom I was like four or five years old, and I was like, "When I get old, I'm gonna drink beer like Dad." <laughs> and her face was devastated. I bet she didn't like that. Devastated, bro. Yeah. Devastated, and um, and even like you know you have natural or like smells that remind you of your childhood and everything. Why is the, the smell of weed lingering in the house? Right. Like you know how you want to like you know you have be a superhero or anything like that when you're a kid or whatever it is you look up to. Like I like the Ninja Turtles and Batman and stuff. Uh-huh. My dad like I used to get a a, a blanket because I wanted to be a cape. I wanted to fly from couch to couch. My dad would get a roach clip and and put the roach oh, clip to, 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 to hold the yeah to hold, hold the, the cape on. on. Yeah, yeah, so it was like. So it was like I was. You were in. The, you were in I, the shits. Right? Yeah, yeah. Dang. I was kind of fucked to begin with, honestly. Right. right. So, um, 
you know, growing up in that type of environment, when did you start, uh, when did you start, like, I guess, your experimentation? I was... Drugs and alcohol. So I, uh, I kind of bamboozled my first drink. I was about nine years old, and I was in the car with my mom and dad. And I, re- cause like I, my dad always had a beer, so I wanted to know what it was like to drink. Right. And I, like we were, I don't know where we were driving back from, was it Salinas or Soledad or whatever, like there from the coast. But uh, it might have been coming there to Fresno. I really don't remember. But uh, I was like, Mom, Dad, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. <laughs> and like I was just trying to get a sip of my dad's beer, and my dad was like, All right, well, like like you know, I was about to hand me the beer. My mom was like, No, and I was like, It's just a sip. And he's like, Yeah, it's just a sip. And so that was like my first sip of beer, uh-huh. but it was nasty. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't really having it. I didn't get buzzed or nothing. But around that same time, my mom, uh, she's a big cigarette smoker, even to this day. 63 years old. She ain't putting them down. She's, you know. That's right. She's smoking them if you got them. Yeah, yeah. And so the, I had the same encounter with the cigarette right around that time. Is like she'd be in the bathroom doing her makeup. And I was like, Mom, I got to use the bathroom. It's like, okay, let's leave the cigarette burning right there. So I'm like. You know, close the door. And of course, I'm not going straight to the bathroom. I grabbed the cigarette and pop. <coughs> that shit's nasty. So, right. But that, so I was already trying to, you know, experiment about them, but I didn't start like actually getting high till I was like 12. Okay. And I was smoking weed. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then, um, you know, uh, from, from ages 12 to like, what, what did high school look like for you? Dude, high school was. I was a uh, uh, the definition of um, a chameleon. Okay. Because uh, I, you know, even like to this day, like I, like you know, I still kind of say like I'm a chameleon to this day. But the difference is like now I can be one way with everybody. Right. But I get along with different types of people. Then I got along with different types of people. But whoever I was hanging out with, that's the personality that I was. So if I'm hanging out with my skateboarder friends, I'm a skateboarder. If I'm hanging out with my Mong gang member friends, I'm acting like a Mong gang. I'm talking like the Mongs were, wow. you know. So uh, if, and and that's that's uh, so that's just kind of I would if I'm with my square friends, I'm acting like a square, you know. Right. If I'm with my black friends, I'm acting black. And and that, <laughs> so that's what like middle school, high school. I, and so I was only in school for a little like little bit, and like literally, I spent more time on the run as an adult than I did in middle school and high school put together. Wow. So you were there were like multiple years in a row where you were would you say where you were just like on the run? Yeah, yeah. There was multiple but but the reason I say that is like I, I my, my time in school was limited. You know, I did middle school and it was like it went from zero to a hundred. Smoking weed, went from smoking weed. My dad sold hell of weed. He he sold you know, he had everything. He like had pounds locked up in his room. And uh, my parents, they have joints always around the house and everything. So I remember I, um, immediately, like, I would go into his, his stuff and, let, you know, to be like, let's say some pounds here, some pounds there. I'd take a little handful of this one, a little handful of that one, and just fill up a Ziploc bag. And then I'd go sell that. Right. And that's kind of, you know, and it went from zero to 100 real quick. Well, in the neighborhood we lived in, I started picking up clientele. And like I said, I got that chameleon personality oh so i'm sure that just helped out so much you were able to just like you know if you were going to sell to like a skater yeah you'd be the skater guy right mm-hmm. like if you wanted to sell to like the nerdy you know group over here you could just be the nerdy group and they'd mm-hmm. accept it they'd be like oh they i trust this he's guy. one of us i trust this guy yeah. he's one of us wow so that i'm sure that definitely that was a sales tactic for you for sure yeah yeah you know, oh I, mean, I think it was like also like a de- defense mechanism because really you know i'm 
afraid of what people think even to today like i'll, I'll have those those flashes of what you know I'm, I, I'm in fear of what people think of me right but right. but definitely like it, it that fear definitely you know ran my life through all my addiction but so so i just wanted to belong i just wanted to belong and i wanted to be cool and uh so anyways i, I started picking up some clientele and my dad started realizing that he had shit going missing Ooh. and then and then but and then so like he 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 gave me the talk but the talk ended up uh, us smoking a joint mm-hmm. and then it, uh basically it was uh he was fronting me from that his business partners now now he's business partners and my dad was always more of like a friend than a dad like he well it was like no i'm gonna i'm gonna rewind that he was like a friend and a dad but it's like i didn't have that consistency so, oh, so you didn't know like when if your dad was gonna talk to you if it, if you were going to be talking to dad or if you were going to be talking to homeboy. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. It was like a double standard. So, so, you know, as we started moving the weed and everything, and then I started finding out he had the powder and, 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 and then, and then, you know, before I know it, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm picking up new older dope fiend clientele in the neighborhood and they're wanting rock. And then my dad's like, Oh yeah, well the weekend, you know, and then before I know it, I'm, you know, 14 getting ready to turn 15 years old and you know my dad's teaching me how to how to rock it up so we can cater to this other clientele but at the same time don't ditch school if you do i'm gonna beat your ass like that it was like that and and the whole time with all this so i had got caught smoking oh also right before i got caught smoking weed but with my friend and uh uh, by his parents and they went over to my house my dad was gone and my mom found out and my mom was like all right I'm gonna take you to KFC, and you're gonna get that shit out your system, and we're not gonna tell your dad because you get mad. And then, oh, and then, so short, mom didn't even know. So, so mom didn't know. So that happened first, and then I got caught stealing my dad's stuff, and all. And but, I like my I was already manipulating so much, I didn't want my mom to know, and so I didn't tell my dad that I already got caught with my mom. But I'm selling drugs with my dad, wow. and we're keeping it from my mom. And it was like this, you know. And my sister just had her own life. Nothing. She kind of just, just and, and, you guys do your own thing. Yeah, and I was like hell into skating, and like you know, was in with some good skaters. I was, I was, uh, I was pretty good. So, so I had like this whole, so I could be gone all I wanted and everything, and like they'd be like, oh, he's just, he's just out skating. He's just out this. He's just out that. So it was like, I had free reign. Right. So it's almost like a perfect situation for you to just fuck shit up. And but but just manipulate. I was I was manipulating. I didn't even know what manipulation was. Right. Uh, yeah, isn't that crazy? It's just like one of the most common traits of an alcoholic is that we're just manipulative people. Mm-hmm. And like no one really taught us how to do it. But it's just like our own survival technique to feed our addiction and our alcoholism because, you know, it's like it's just it's a trip. Like I don't think anyone taught you like, oh, you got to make sure mom doesn't know that dad, you know, did this and you got to make sure dad doesn't know that mom knows this. Mm -hmm. So then you could keep this perfect life together. Like, no, that's some shit that you manifested in your own head. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, I, I trip out about that sometimes too. Like when I'm thinking about my own life, Mm -hmm. you know, about how it, it took a lot of, took a lot of work. Think making it seem like I wasn't on drugs to my parents. You know, you said it take a lot of work though, but when you're doing something that you love doing, it don't feel like work. Oh no! And no, at the and when, and when we're in that, we we go through those times. We we love doing what we're doing. I know that I loved getting high. I loved drinking. I loved selling dope. I loved robbing people. Yeah, it didn't feel like work. Right. 
You know, when we get sick and tired is when it starts feeling like work. And you know, you're right, like, right, right. Yeah, I'm you know. thinking of some other career options now, you know? <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. You know, robbing people isn't a salary job. It's not a desk job at all no. by any means. But um, so you're at, you know, you're in uh, your high school slanging dope. Yeah, you started slanging rock too. And um, I think the, the, the question we all want to know is, with the rock were you getting high on your own supply i didn't until i was 16 that was one of the first time i smoked it i smoked meth once when i was 15 and then i smoked a uh, rock and some weed when i was 16 so i was about to ask you too was it lenios was i mean not lenios yeah was it, was it chewy or was it, it like it was, it was it, pure no, no it was it was it was chewy and it was really just to because i wanted to be long because my dad like had instilled a lot of that uh oh, it's funny because it's like he would tell, I remember him telling me, don't ever do heroin. Don't ever do heroin and don't ever smoke this rock. And so I'm like, I'm never going to do heroin and I'm never going to smoke this rock. But then around some older people that I wanted to fit in, oh yeah, I will be. Yeah, and they're smoking rocks here like, I'll they're, they're, rock they're smoking it in the weed. So I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And I remember. Yeah. And it's a lot more appealing when it's in weed too. I remember, fuck, like, mm -hmm. dude, I was sitting over at, shout out to John D. Park out in Campbell, California, beautiful Campbell, California. Mm -hmm. You know, the boys are just had some crack rock and they're like you know we don't want to smoke pure because that's what fiends do but we'll throw it in this blunt with this bomb you know i think it was we had some like granddaddy perp at the time mm -hmm. and it just felt right it just felt so right and then the next thing i know i'm fucking strung out on crack but, but that's the thing like, as, as addicts is like we will justify why that's better like oh yeah it's it's okay i, I could be on prescription pills because i'm not on heroin or or the heroin's cool because I'm just sniffing out a visine bottle and I'm smoking on foil and I'm not shooting up like you guys. I'm not that kind of piece of shit. Or, like our, yeah. our minds oh, yeah. will trick oh, us. Yeah. That's the disease of addiction. You know, we're sicker the most. Sicker. We're sicker the yeah, most, baby. Yeah. But the, the crazy thing about that too is that like looking back on any rationalization, even sober, there's like, because I have a, a, an addict mind, mm -hmm. I can see how that rationalization would have worked for me. You know, the whole shooting up for me, it was like, well, I love sipping lean every day, and I love popping perks, mm -hmm. but it's expensive. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I don't want to be having to do grimy ass shit mm -hmm. to get my fix. You know, but I can support you know my heroin habit at the time with my construction gig I was working. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'll save money and shoot my dope mm -hmm. instead of fucking you know being cool and sipping my lean and popping my perks. Mm -hmm. You know, and so that's how kind of like. And then in my mind, I'm like, for a split second there, with my you know even to this day still sober, I'm like. Yeah, Steven, that was a pretty smart move of you. You know what I mean? And then I'm like, no, how is shooting dope a smart at all? You know what I mean? But it's just like, that's how it is. So you had that rationalization when you first started smoking rock. Was that like the initial, like, did you start smoking rock after that? Do you not no, really like it? or No, nah, what I was all about then was I was all about the weed. I liked the numbness, but uh, I, I was really into ecstasy. I was really in the ecstasy. Oh, okay. It was, you know, the whole, okay, the whole, the whole smackers, quad, yeah, schmackers, quad stacks, you know, you know the, out drinking, you know, I'm, I, you know, hit, hit a couple lines, but it was, that was, that was more my thing. That was what I was about. You know, the whole Mac Dre, this era. That's right. This, this is what it was. This is what it was and what it is. <laughs> if you know, you know. Uh -huh. So, so that was really my thing. Okay. And that was like really what, um, that was like the first stuff that really like kind of got me by the ball, but it was all party and, and, and uh, fun and games, you know, me and my dad were doing our thing. Um, so my dad, like I said, is an alcoholic, 
uh, he had a cirrhosis of the liver. And, um, so when I was 15, so we were, we were doing our thing. Oh, well, so I, I gotta tell this. I gotta tell this. All right. Talk so, to me. Talk so, to me. so, you know, I'm new in the game. I knew how to, uh, uh, how to make a couple moves or whatever. And, but my dad was playing me. Like I was, you know, probably moving like that, like, you know, an ounce of weed and, you know, you know, good, good amount of, uh, you know, some powder and some rocks here and there. I was making him some money. You know, it, it was just running around the neighborhood, and my dad was giving me like a gram of weed and twenty bucks a day. I was getting played. Wow. And then the the older people that I was kicking around, they made it apparent, like, "Hey, dude, your dad's getting over on you. Your dad's getting over on you." And they meet my dad, start bumping heads about this, start bumping heads about this, and um, he uh, he ended up getting uh sick, uh cirrhosis. He started throwing up blood. And uh, one day, and I was at this time. I'm in the continuation school because you know I got kicked out of the regular high school. They weren't gonna let me go over there. I, I went to Fresno schools, but then I, got, you know, switched over into Clovis schools, and you know was already causing trouble. And uh, so I'm in the continuation school. So then we got out at 12:20 every day, 11:03 every other Monday. So it's just a perfect dope deal on schedule. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm getting at is, uh, I, I'm getting out of school. It's 12, right? And um, my mom's like, "Oh, your dad's in the hospital. He was in there." And uh, this is when it used to be UMC over there on uh, Ventura and uh, First, over there by Huntington Boulevard. It's next okay. to Roosevelt. That's not, that's not even a, ho a hospital open anymore. But they gave him a bunch of blood transfusions. He was in there for a bunch of days. And they told him, if you keep drinking, you're going to make it three years. And they, and they let him out the hospital. And he kind of chilled. He was still doing his thing with the weed, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't really moving the powder. He wasn't really messing with the powder. Um as as much af after that and uh so what but what that did is you know i had already made my, my connections that set it up to where i was able to do my own hustle on the side and when i started doing my own hustle and you know not, my dad knew what i was doing he would call me out on it but i was just like yeah whatever motherfucker. Uh, right. but when i started seeing the actual money that you can make doing this and i really knew i was getting played i remember like having this thought in the back of my head like i am set for the rest of my life because i know how to make money you know right and it's, it wasn't no substantial, but as a little kid, you know, that's, you know, it's, so I remember thinking like, I'm never going to run out of money like that. <laughs> that thought literally hit right, my head. Right. Um, so my dad, he stopped drinking for about three weeks and then he picked up again. I found a beer can in his car. He went out to his old hometown, Soledad over there in the uh, central coast. And he came back and the, there was a beer can in his, uh, or I, like, I, like, I, could, I could tell he was drunk. And so I looked, searched his car and I found the beer can. And I went and threw the beer can at him, and I and he and I knew he was drunk. It was just super pissed. I didn't talk to him for a couple of days, uh, and then it was like I would just you know up and my mom worked like crazy hours, so it was like me and my dad, and my sister was always gone. I think she was moved out at that time, and uh, so he was drinking. I was like, oh, he's only gonna make it three years, and then uh, I remember even him like we we're smoking a joint in the car. He's like, well, I hope this isn't the last joint that we smoke, you know? Right. Kind of like jokingly, joking, but like serious at the same time. Right. And um, <clears throat> so he, uh, eight months go by from that time he got out of the hospital. Same thing around the same time I'm getting out of school, and uh, and I get the call. You know, uh, the ambulance picked my dad up from the house, and um, he was over at Saint Agnes and Saint Agnes Hospital. And uh, my sister picks me up and she takes me over there. And then I'm getting over there. And my dad is like all sedated and whatnot. And so we like we go back in the little ER area and like he was like falling out of it he was like like thank you for coming and like like just like know, nodding off fell out and uh like me like my dad had been through so much shit 
like physically and like you know just through his whole life i was like to me he was like superman like you can't like he ain't gonna die i was i didn't even have i wasn't even scared that he was gonna die he like he should have died when he was a little kid because of a bunch of shit he was he went through so anyways um so i'm not even tripping i i go and i get dropped off at the house you know i'm blowing some weed skateboarding in front of my house just you know doing my normal thing and then my mom comes back i remember it being like seven at night and she's like we got to go back to the hospital i was like all right yeah cool let's go over there we go say what's up to dad you know we already been through this when we get over to the hospital and um i remember like having like remember there used to be mp3 players and this is 2000 in january 26 2006 so it was you didn't have iphones in or nothing yeah it was like i remember having my mp3 player and i remember having like Listening to like Andre Nicotina and there you go. all, all there this you stuff. Go. And um, so I'm just bumping my music and I'm not even really tripping and everybody's looking scared. And then the doctors come and tell us, and they're like, all right, well, yeah, your dad's got about 75% chance of making it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. Like, my dad's a savage, so he's going to make it. I'm like, I'm not even sweating it. And then uh, some time go by. He comes back, well, your dad's got about 50% chance of making it. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm not tripping. He's going to be all right. That fool should have died when he was a little kid. Mm-hmm. And then they come in and they're like, well, he's got a 25% chance of making it. Now I'm like, hmm. You know, I'm like starting to think, like, what if you don't make it? Right. Like, I don't I don't know. And then, uh, you know, the doctor comes back again and basically tells us uh, it's a wrap. So we can do two things. We can either put him on life support or we can uh, pull the plug, give him some morphine and uh, make him comfortable as he goes. And, you know, I'm 16 years old. I'm like. It was like surreal. It, it didn't even like really hit me. I mean, like my mom talked to me and my sister about it, and we were like, we all decided. My sister's older. She's like five and a half years older than me. So at the time, she's like twenty-one, and uh, so we decided like that. You know, he would have not wanted to be on life support, right? You know, what is what is he gonna do? That's more for our own selfish reasons, and um, so like, all right, well, you know give him the morphine and let him go out comfortably. And so my sister's boyfriend was there. A couple of my cousins were there, me and my mom and sister. And um, so, yeah, you know, my dad, I, I watched him at the age of 16, you know, take his last breaths in front of me, you know, for, you know, the disease of alcoholism, cirrhosis yeah. of the liver took him. And I just remember those last breaths. I am like, you know, I, I didn't say nothing or anything. And I just remember, uh, I mean, we'll be fucking pissed. Made me fucking piss as soon as uh, he flatlined and like he took those last breaths and everything, and I remember just like just taking off like I I, I had a because I I you know as a kid I had a lot of anger issues, and whatnot and um, you know it just it just didn't seem real and so me and my mom left and like I like I didn't even I wasn't even crying like my mom was like fucked up over it and we go get in the car and like, you know my dad I guess you know he he hustled with his weed. He's known for that fire. We go back and we, you know, first thing we do is we go to, you know, we go get his stash. Not in a, in a disrespectful way, but it's like, my mom's like, we're going to roll up a fat one and we're going to smoke it for your dad. Because right. also. That's what he would have wanted. It's what he would have wanted. But also at the same time, it's like a, before, like we had been hiding everything we were doing for my mom. Then the first time we went to the hospital, I was smoking my mom and the manipulation came back. I was like telling like my mom, no, we can't tell dad. And I was telling my dad, hey, I'm smoking with mom. And he's like, no, we all got to smoke together. Right. Like, right. we're going to smoke your joint together today. And I was like, no, no. But then everything, all of, we've been lying for too long now for like two, like over two years. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. you know. So it all was like, you know, just trying to 
puppeteer everything. My dad wanted the family to bond by smoking weed, and I didn't want all of our lies to come out. Like, major manipulation, you know? Right, right. Um, and so, sure enough, my mom was like, hey, let's go smoke one. You know, we, we rolled up, we rolled up, it was, it was, I remember it was some purple. We were rolling up a fat old joint, we were smoking, smoking, and I was just numbing the feelings. And like I said, I had, I, you know, I hadn't cried yet or anything. I was just so surreal. And then I remember going to my room and I was like, I was, I was blown and I was trying to go to sleep. And, um, and then it hit me, dude. And I was just bawling, crying, probably the hardest I ever cried in my life. Like screaming, like, like, a you know, like a one year old baby, you know? Mm -hmm. And then my mom just like came over and was like, she was like holding me and we were both just crying and we were both just crying and, and like, that shit fucked me up because that was like that was my best friend, that was my best friend and my dad. You know he had that double standard like, oh yeah, you know go sell that rock, but you better get your ass to school. He was the one that kept me in school. My mom worked too much to to keep me in school. Right. So so you know at that at that at that point you know my my dad was gone. That shit fucked me up. Um, and it was like at that point I could have gone one of two ways. You know I could have gone one or two ways. You know I like I was in my skateboarding and everything. I could I could have you know been making some shit happen over here. Or I could go this way and do what my dad taught me. It's like I'm gonna do what my dad taught me. I right. think. And um, yeah. a couple months later, like one of my best friends, well, you know, one of the those Hmong dudes, the older dudes I used to kick it with. Uh, his name was Albert. Shout out Albert, man. Rest in peace. He uh, he was murdered right around the corner from my house. He was uh he he was from a, a from a gang, a, a local gang in that neighborhood. That was a, a Hmong and bulldog infested neighborhood. I kicked it with the Mongs because I had funk with the Bulldogs. Was getting fights with them and mm -hmm. and whatnot and um. Uh, and so, so Albert got murdered. My dad passed away. Albert got murdered, and it was just like, fuck. I remember being sixteen, you know, feeling like, damn, like, I feel like anybody that I get close to, I get too close to them, and they're gonna die. Gonna die, yeah. You know, I started having that, like, those kind of feelings, and then, uh, you know, as time went on, uh, um, oh, around that same time, the landlord comes in. It's like, all right. You guys got to move out. My sister has moved out. Uh, my dad's passed away. Me and my mom and uh, got a lifetime of stuff for for me, my dad, and sister. That, and we have 30 days to move out. We don't know how we're going to move out. That was another thing that pushed me in the direction. Like, all right, I want to sell dope because I want to make sure we got money. I want to make sure we're good, you know? Right, right. And, um, and so, we, uh, so we ended up uh, moving out. We moved over to Clovis. We moved over to Clovis. And, uh, you know, at, the, at that point in time, like uh, – I was just over. My mom couldn't. She couldn't make me go to school. She worked way too much, and so I was just throwing in a life, like you know, fending for myself. And my mom felt bad for me because my dad was gone, you know. So even then, she wasn't even gonna tell me not to do do nothing. So yeah. her and I were real codependent for each other. So that's like that was that was you know. I know we talked about that for a little minute, but that's shit I don't talk about, you know. So that was like you know I experienced that really early in life, you know. Yeah, and that was that was something that really like molded your outlook on life. Would you say that it molded your outlook on life for oh. for like you know the next up and coming years oh, that you're using? Oh, one hundred percent. Like that was like okay, it molded like how life, what your perception of how life is supposed to be. One hundred percent. Yeah, I, I was an atheist at that point. You know, I didn't. Yeah. You know, no spirituality, no nothing. Like, I'm in control. So. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a trip because you've came a whole one eighty from that. You know. I remember, yeah, we just a little thing too. Like I remember, Ronnie kind of got me into church a little bit, or back into church because I kind of strayed away for a while. And then, you know, when I got sober, Ronnie kind of introduced me to another to a church out here 
in uh, in Fresno, or actually, I guess it's in Clovis, technically. We're in know. both. We got a downtown location. That's right. Via. Shout out Via Church. Um, and uh, I remember he had me he had me holding up the a sign, you know, <laughs> getting people in, and I got in, into the parking lot when they come in. Yeah. It's just like welcome. So I got so into it that I got this this uh, honk. I made this own little honk for Jesus sign, Amen. dude. And it's crazy to see how like you know someone you know Ronnie's faith is so strong that he was able to kind of steer me in a direction to you know reach out reach back out to like a, a power greater than myself mm-hmm. and um i don't know i just thought that was just kind of cool because it's coming from a place where you know you were like this and um you know like i said fig you know very atheist and now you're like probably one of the most one of the most you know passionate people about your faith like you know you and you and sean you know what I mean? Sean's big into his faith. Dude, he loves it. Yeah, he loves it. It's he amazing. Loves Jesus. It's amazing, you know, to see, and you know, and and, and it's crazy to see that, like that one eighty, mm-hmm. you know. So, going back to kind of where we were at, like, so that those those like formative years, like that mindset of, you know, anyone you get close to is gonna die, mm-hmm. and now you have this like made this obligation to yourself that you have to slang dope you know to make it like this is what you 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 have to do you have to follow in your father's footsteps Mm -hmm. um what did life look like from that point on man so what life looked like uh, like i was supposed to be doing uh i was supposed to be doing um what you call it uh independent studies but i wasn't doing shit uh i was really it was it was just all about the hustle i like i said i was all about ecstasy and partying and uh i really i really got deep into the ecstasy this is when the addiction really kicked in like i had some times when it was like you know i, I probably should have died there was times when i was popping like 13 pills and at night and these you know, aren't just the little molly caps these no, are the, these are the thizzles like the the hard pressed yeah dude that's what i'm saying like back then ecstasy was different they were crazy pills these were like the the white naked ladies the the blue dolphins all the uh, you know they, yeah, the blue the, dolphins. the kids these days they don't they didn't see it. and i'm glad they didn't see it but yeah so those pills like there's a couple of times i i know i had uh, some close calls with with death with just by how much i was taking but that's why i was using that to like change the way that i feel that was how i was um w- was coping with it you know the hustle I lived with my mom. I, I felt like I couldn't leave my mom behind. You know, we moved to Clovis for a little bit, but I wanted to move back to the old neighborhood. We moved back to the old neighborhood, and like I said, those bulldogs that I had funk with, they, they came back. Right. They came back. You know, my dad was cool with them because he did business with them. But uh, so, so they came on back. I remember getting in a fight with this with this dude, Vincent, and now he's doing he's doing life now. And uh, I remember like I was like 14, we got into a fight, whatever. And then I got jumped by him and his cousins. And then my dad talked to them. And then they, they stayed off my back. They didn't fuck with me. So that's why I like clicked up with the Hmong dudes. But then now I moved back. And that whole family of bulldogs, they, they, they start they start coming around again. We moved back in the old. And, and like we lived on like a frontage road off of the main street. And I, now I'm like 17 years old. Me and my mom got a little duplex house. I remember I'm paying, you know, paying a lot of the bills. You know, my, my relationship with my sister is strained. You know, we didn't hit her in the face of the ashtray on thanksgiving just like oh, shit got bad and um you know it wasn't good it wasn't good with her a writer that was that thanksgiving and then it was like december 20th or something like that 
uh, it's like 11 o'clock and I was, I was rocking up some rock. Cause in that hood, you know, we, we had those, we had that, I always had that clients there. And I remember like, I was, I was, my homie Sal, rest in peace. He was with me, my homie Dusty and Sal was with him. Dusty's still around. He lives in Florida now, but Sal, Sal's gone now. But I remember I was showing him like how to, I was showing him how to rock shit. Cause I had him moving stuff for me at that point in time. And, um, I remember telling him, I was like, man, I, I know, uh, when I do this stuff, when I'm when I'm when I rock it, I get paranoid. Like someone's out to get me, and it's like eleven o'clock, and then and then we hear duh, 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 at the door, and I'm like, huh. So I, I go over there and I go, uh, I'm not opening the door, you know. I just I was like, who is it? And he's like, it's Peanut. Peanut's this little bulldog kid, and I was like, oh, he's a little wimp. It's it's no big deal, you know. I was like, what do you want? He says something about some ounces, and. uh I open up the wood door, but the screen door is still, you know, in the hood, you got those screen doors. Right, right. And uh, there's this uh, big-ass Mexican dude, bald dude with goatee, has a rifle, puts up in my face, open the door, motherfucker. Shit. Slam the door in his face. And uh, I had a gun, but it was back in my room. And uh, first thing I did, is I get, like I gave Dusty and Sal the crazy look, and I started running back to my room, and Dusty and Sal both hit the deck, and they're pop, 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 pop through uh through the living through the window through the living room we're basically dodging bullets like the the bullets like uh i well i, I ran to my room and i had a sliding glass door but uh, uh I, I i ran to my room and and, and uh open the sliding glass door i i, I grab my gun open the sliding cla- glass door and i climb on the fence and i'm jumping over into the into the next uh part of the fence because bullets are just spraying through the house uh-huh. and they did the same thing except I, I was trying to get on the the other side of the yard and they're banging on my neighbor's uh, sliding glass door, and, and they're like, "Dora, let us in." She let them in, and then, and then, and then we went, you know, kind of regrouped for a couple minutes, went and went back out there with the strap, and uh, it was it was all empty, and I, I was cool with her son. Her son was the homie. Fucking how like bullet holes all in, in the in the front window, goes through the front window into the into the living room wall, through the living room wall into my bedroom wall, but like off the corner. Like right, it, it was, right. yeah, yeah. So, so it was like Swiss, the whole house, Swiss cheese. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ba- yeah basically, like, it, and uh, you know, fuck, they like. I'm lucky that, or we're lucky. Dusty and Sal hit the floor and crawled. I, I was running like straight to where, the, the where, where the back, you know, where, where the back was, and we all went out that way. But it was like it was, there was no shooting back at that point. You know? It was right. just like you got, you got don't, don't get hit. You just got a dip. So yeah, it was like 17. That's what life looked like at that time. My mom coming home to bullet holes in her house. And, and calling the cops saying she don't know what happened, and then and then me and my boys camped out there with my mom strapped up waiting for them to come back. That was what life looked like at seventeen. Wow, wow. And then um, was that like pretty much the norm? That type of shit, pretty much the norm for the next. What, when did you get sober again? Was it was it? 27 27 27 so that's 10 years yeah the next the next 10 years the norm the norm changed a lot you know how this we have a progressive disease Mm -hmm. well the same way my disease progressed uh you know that the the criminal mentality lifestyle progressed also right you know so you got to keep up with your your addiction you got to keep up with your hustle Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm and uh you know we we change addictions and everything so i was all about like uh, ecstasy, drinking, sniffing some powder, partying, and all that, chasing girls. That was that, and that was the thing. Uh, that that was the thing, and still the the chameleon lifestyle. 
you know, without, you know, now we're, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're all over. We're, we're, we're not just sticking to one little side of town. We're all over, you know, every, every area around here. Um, you know, I want to say, so when I was, uh, once I, uh, it's funny cause like all, all that stuff happened, I didn't, didn't end up in no juvenile hall or nothing, but then uh, I ended up, I'm 18 and now, you know, we're, we're moving the powder. We're, you know, we're, we're doing, you know, uh, I had, uh, I had gotten a high speed chase. So, um, well, you know, it's that party lifestyle and everything. Uh, actually Scotty, shout out Scotty. I was, I, I was with Scotty this shout night. Shout out Scotty. Uh, you know, we're, you know, you just go from how party to party, you know, you have the powder on you, all that drinking, chasing the girls. And, um, uh, we were, we were over by Scotty's old apartment on first and knees. And uh, we were going out to Clovis to to a party out there, and I remember like I had drunk like like over like half a bottle of some Hennessy. Like I, I was pretty smashed, and I didn't want to drive. And I remember walking over with Scotty and Dusty to to Scotty's truck, and I was like gonna get in his car because I I already know I'm shitty. And uh, my boy Dusty was like, "Man, you really want to do this again?" Because like I used to get I used to get shit faced and be like, you know. Uh, Leave, leave my car on one side of town and it would take forever to get back to it. It would just be a pain in the ass. He's like, you really want to do this again? It took us like a day and a half to get to back to my car <laughs> like the weekend before. And I was like, man, fuck you. Like, I don't even want to deal with this, you know? Right. So I go and get my car knowing I shouldn't be driving. And I get the fuckets when I drink. And so, uh, so I sniff a little power. I sniff a little powder and I'm driving out of the apartment complex. And I see my boy, see my boy Kyle. And he's like, you want me to roll with you? I was like, yeah, come on, hop in. So we go out to Clovis and, uh, you know, uh, Kyle, he's uh, he's like half Mexican, but he looks real Mexican, you know. So it's like, you know, two Mexicans driving around out in Clovis. We go, we stop over at Red Rocket on uh, Herndon and Armstrong. Uh, he had a little water bottle full of uh, Captain Morgan, you know. And um, so I was like, yeah, well, let's go get a little Sprite, you know, we, we drink. Like, I'm just, I'm thinking about, you know, getting more liquor in my system, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, I sniffed a little power to wake myself up. And we go, we get the Sprite. And then we pull out of there right there on Herndon and Armstrong. And, uh. So we so we pull out and onto Hernan and then I go left on the Armstrong. It's like two in the morning. Two Mexicans. I have like a red LRG shirt on and like a blue and red Atlanta Braves hat. Kyle has a red shirt on. So you basically see, you know, it looks like it's a big old target. Big old target. Like For any any pig out there is a. Big old target. We did not belong on this side yeah. of town. For all the listeners who's not familiar with Fresno and Clovis area, Clovis is like the. Uh, I'll let you say it. I'll let you say it. Uh, it's a it's a hot spot if you uh, are of another ethnicity, other than white. <laughs> other than white, <laughs> yes. So so yeah. So we're uh, we turn left on the Armstrong, and uh, and then and then I see a cop coming this way. And I'm like, oh yeah, whatever. And he's just mugging us. Mm. And he's just mugging us. And as soon as we pass him, like I'm a stop sign, and we and we pass him, I'm just like. Bump, sec- or no, 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 no. It was he. He starts to make a legal U-turn, and I seen that after you pass him. So I'm like, bump, second gear, bump, third gear, bump, fourth gear, just hit, hitting corners and like Armstrong curves like around right there, boom through the stop sign, and there's a Mickey Cox, and then and uh, and then it's like on Sierra, and I'm just like, left on Sierra, right in the neighborhood, and I'm hitting all these corners, and the party we we're going to was in that neighborhood, but like this is like where my mind's going to. I'm not even thinking about throwing the dope. Or nothing. I'm like thinking about okay, it's cool. We can ditch the car. 
whatever it doesn't matter as long as they don't they don't you know they don't catch me on the, on the car on my person i don't have to admit to anything like i don't have to play the court system so my my goal was to pull up a street over hop two fences and be in the backyard of the place where i'm supposed to be so i do that we get away and and i tell my boy i was like we, we lost the cop i was like i was like you like that huh and uh so i was fixing up the car that that i was in at that point and i was uh the whole electrical like so i had my speaker and my and my and my and my bump going but i had to to turn the headlights off and to turn the, the sound system off i had to crack open the uh the, uh, the electrical system and pull out the uh the fuses that because oh, okay. you know i was still right, I, it right. was it was like a, it was a little under and I, I, I was i was gonna make it dope and so it, like i couldn't find uh uh, the the screwdriver and everything to pop it open, so I'm over here trying to pop all this stuff. I'm not even thinking about throwing my dope or nothing. I, uh, and uh, and, I, and I'm popping it open, and, and then that cop pulls up on us, and boom, and it, uh, we got cracked. Rolled you right there, right there. Rolled you and, right uh, there. And uh, my boy, he had he had a bunch of weed and a scale on him, and he put it under the car and everything, and like, uh, and I like, saw so I'm at that point I'm shit faced. Like I could have got a DUI, but the, but the but the cop he was too pumped on you know I had uh, I had like a couple thousand dollars on me, and uh, like I had like a bunch of uh, or I had like a few quarter ounces of coke, and so he was all pumped on that. He didn't even think about the DUI or anything. So I st even still to this day I got a perfect driving record. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so he was he was strictly just going for that sales charge. Yeah, yeah. It went straight for it. So I had a sales and transporting, and then I got charged with my with my homies uh, sales of weed. And uh, and and all this shit and so and so yeah so I I went in for that and um, that was that was my that was my first little case so right away I'm 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 in the system you know and I I don't want to stay stay too long in that part but because you're, you're talking about like over the next ten years but that's that's all where it started right there that's all where it started I did my time on that but now once you're in the system it's hard to get out it's hard to get out and then like I got locked up and I thought like I was even like I remember my first time in there sniffing ecstasy in there like like what we had ecstasy and pruno yeah yeah we uh, uh oh yeah talk about the pruno for a second oh, just yeah. for the I just did this this shit just cracks me up dude oh yeah this was this was later on so now you know at this point we're we're in and that this was actually more like 2013 I'm I was back in the county I was fighting the case I actually beat the case in 2013 it was like my you know, for the for the listeners, you know, basically what happened, it was like a bunch of viol, you know, catch a case, get a violation, boom, get locked up again, boom, catch another sales case, violation, boom, it was it was in and out, like you know, as, and like I said, I, you know, and when I wasn't out, I would be on the run. So, anyways, one time I'm on the run, I catch another sales case, I'm back in there, and now I'm seasoned with it, you know, and I, and I, you know, I had spit in there, and so I already knew how to make the pruno me. Uh, me and the me and my bunkie, we uh, he's this funny paisa dude, uh, dude he is hella funny, bro. Uh, we we had a little hustle, we had, we had a little a little pruno hustle, and uh, we we were actually making it in shampoo bottles because it was more efficient than making it in a bag. In the bag, it was too messy, and we had to stick the bag. You had to like break a, a thing out the ceiling to put it in. In the shampoo bottles, we could just keep it in the back of our racks, and and then you could just flip the switch to burp it, and everything. So. And then, and then when the cops come to raid, you just have to have it in the back and have your commissary, like have it blend in. And it's like, you know, have your kicker stuck in between the, uh, the, the, the drawers of the rack. So it's like, it was so much easier not to get caught. But anyways, my bunky little funny ass dude, he was like, cause, uh, he called it, uh, our, our, our hustle, uh, Paisanos, Winos, Incarcerated. <laughs> Paisanos, Winos, Inc. But then he, he was called it Incarcerated. I was like, man, <laughs> that's so clever, dude. 
But yeah, dude, so there, dude, there's a bunch. Dude, there's this one story. So it was, uh, it was like after that first case, and then uh, I did that time, and then I got out, and then I was like on a violation from 2009 to, to, uh, to 2010, and I get out in 2010. And I haven't even been that long, and I was like, I was moving some stuff with, uh, with this dude that that I was locked up with. I don't even remember what it was, but I was like, oh, I got to rob him. I got to rob him. I don't even remember. Got to rob him. I don't remember why, you know. And um, so, like, you know, I, I, I fuck with some meth. Uh, you know, my, i done my handful, but it's not my drug of choice, you know. Right. And uh, I had this bright idea. Like, I was like, all right, I haven't done meth in, in like, a couple of years. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smoke a 10 sack of meth, and then I'm going to go rob this guy. <laughs> and, dude, and so, and so it went, and so, yeah, I smoked a 10 sack of meth. I couldn't even fucking, I didn't remember how to smoke it, right. You had to retrain yourself. I, yeah, I had to retrain myself. Nobody even wanted to do it with me. Just hop on YouTube and youtube i burnt it i burnt the man. fuck out of it dude i burnt it for sure anyway so i'm all split acting and i go i i stick up the dude and his homie but it, dude it was like i had this fucking stupid it was a bright idea but it was stupid i robbed him and then i walked inside of the house in front of the house that i robbed him at. i robbed him in their car and the dude that i robbed was on the run and he took off and his homie stayed and he called the cops and said that i robbed him for laptop money and so now the cops are surrounded at the fucking house, and this is in Clovis again on Barstow and Minnewawa, and uh, there's like Ooh. ten cop cars out there, and everybody comes out the house, and so I go, and uh, it was like uh, it was like twenty five hundred dollars, so I went and I stuck the money in between uh, uh, the uh, money in the phone in between the mattress and box spring in my homie's house, and then I'm the last one. They got guns drawn. I got hands up. I come out, and like I'm tweaking, and and they they're like, all right, they do sobriety test checkpoint tests on me and i pass them all they got me touching my nose and doing all this weird shit mm -hmm. and so I, I i do it i pass them all and i'm like no, i'm not doing nothing and so they're like all right well they're taking me on a violation because they uh oh no for, no they're taking me on a violation for being on the info because they knew i was high because my pupils and, and like we're just gonna take your blood i'm like no you guys aren't they they go and they put me in the back of the cop car and they go search the house they search the house and then they come out and they're like no money was recovered but we found your phone so basically, they my phone and money were together. So basically, they're they're keeping the money that I robbed. But if I admit to if that there was money, then it it's the money that I robbed. So basically, if I say anything, I'm pretty much admitting to armed robbery. <laughs> so right. Right. so it was, uh, I I could they knew I couldn't say shit, and uh, so uh, so I'm all pissed. Whenever we go to Clovis PDs and I'm sitting in in the in that cell, like four hours go by and. Uh, and they're like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna take your blood. I was like, like, no, you're not. And then take like four of them, and I'm like all holding on to the to the bench in the in the cell, and I'm like trying to kick them off and shit, <laughs> trying to fight fight them off. And then they like they took me out of there and they strapped me and they put me in a restraint chair. And like, remember, I've done meth in a while, so a ten sack they're gonna hit you thinking weird. And so I had this bright idea. I was like, I'm HIV positive. I'm gonna bite my lips and start splitting blood at you. And then now they're strapping me to a restraint chair. Cause I'm scared of needles. I don't want them to take my blood. I was, I told them that I, you know, I'll admit to it, whatever. Just don't take my blood. Cause I'm, I'm even to this day, I'm, I don't like needles. And so, um, they put a net bag over my head. Cause I said, I'm HIV positive for the listeners. I'm not really HIV positive. <laughs> <laughs> You're just trying to get them. Yeah. Fuck away yeah I'm just you. trying to get them away. And then they put the net bag over my head and they're taking my blood. And there's like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> it wasn't. And this is the story doesn't end right here. So they take my blood and then take me to Fresno County and I get over there, whatever the holding cell, and I get to the dress out cell 
and I'm like pacing back and forth. You know, now I've been fucking tweaking for like, I don't know, 14, 15, 16 hours, and I don't know what's going on. And then I sit down. I don't know if I'm breathing a lot. Or not. There's one other guy in there, and he's in his, uh, he's in his uh, uh, jumpsuit, and he's like laying on the bench against the wall. And I just hear, shut the fuck up. And I'm like looking around, like, am I hearing shit? And I'm like, there's like this little window that the cops give you your your jumpsuit and your bag and everything before you get sent to your to whatever pod you go to. And I don't see anyone in there. I'm like, the fuck. I'm like sitting back in my spot and I'm like looking at this guy. I'm like, are you talking to me? He's like, yeah, I'm talking to you. And I just, I'm like, fuck you, motherfucker. He's, and he's turning around. He's like, you got to go. I'm already running at him. I'm like, pop, 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 pop. He just straight overpowers me. And I used to have long hair like you, like like you did. I used to do the, the braids and the cornrows too. And this dude uh -huh. just straight overpowers me, pulls my hair and like brings me into him. And I'm just shooting elbows in the side. Ta, 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 just trying to get him with your elbow. Just trying to get him with my elbow. That's all I could do. And then he starts screaming, officer, officer. And then the, cop, the cops come. And they pull me off and do pull like a chunk of my hair, everything. And they put me in a, in a solitary cell and they're trying to ask me what happened. Now I'm like hyperventilating from the dope. And I'm like, they're like, what happened? I'm just like, <laughs> they're like, well, what, were you defending yourself? I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so, yeah, that's just like this, this stupid, this stupid shit, you know? So how much long after that before you finally got sober? Like what was Dude, what? I, it, but after that, bro, it was like I, I like I really got into uh sipping lean. It wasn't even it wasn't even like getting sober. I got into prescriptions and it went from Oh, so okay, so after after the uh your phase with ecstasy, drinking, that's when the lean started kicking in. Yeah, the lean kicked in, bro. The lean kicked in and like I said, I was always on the run, and I was like, it was if I wasn't on the run, I I, I was uh, I was locked up, and then and then it was like the prescription is that syrup, syrup and Xanax, and I remember like I would even like think that I was better than the next person. That what we talked about earlier. Right, cause I, you were you were sipping designer drugs. Like, yeah, you like you know what I mean. You weren't like you know shooting dope, shooting heroin. You were you were sipping lean. It, it cost a cost a pretty penny to support a lean habit you know mm -hmm. and it's uh it's a designer drug it's mm -hmm. almost like a it's almost like a status symbol yeah you know in the streets like it's a status symbol if you're sipping lean especially i mean back in back in that those days it was a lot more serious now the lean game's all fucked up you know? yeah but no it definitely was a status symbol yeah and then plus two then you got all the rappers blowing it up too i remember fuck like i mean my lean days were like way after activists and Al Pharma, that Dino Jews. That's you know, what we were, it started with the Al Pharma. Yeah, before ACK. And then the the OG tech in the glass bottles mm -hmm. was even starting to go extinct by the time like I really got into lean. And then they reformulated the high tech. And then it's that bullshit. And then they reformulated the flavor. MGP and then to, into Wachart. Wachart, yeah. And then, then even Qualitas changed the recipe too. Yeah. Got bought out by Par. Ba back but, then, nobody even wanted Quality. I know quality used to be I heard, dirt. I, I heard that quality used to be shitty, and then when I was it was a ten dollars a line. Yeah, and then when I started sipping, like quality was like, you know, next to none. Like that was the that was the thing because all the other syrup was bunk. It mm -hmm. tasted like metal, mm -hmm. you know, drinking metal. So you were you're sipping lean. Obviously, that's an opiate. Mm -hmm. right? It was an opiate. Very very. You know, people under it. People underestimate it and they overestimate it too. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like people don't realize like when when a rapper says like 
power foe. Like they're talking about four ounces of codeine cough syrup, mm-hmm. which if you drink four ounces of codeine cough syrup on no, no tolerance whatsoever, fuck you up. You're gonna be like so in, smashed. In those days, it was like a uh, a four was minimal. We were drinking like a four to an eight a day. We pour a brick in a day, you know. Which, by the way, a four ounce on, the, like, to, to, for the audience too, like, it's an expensive fucking habit. Like, it really is, you it's, know. Yeah, and it's, it's crazy. almost like the fact that it's so expensive, it causes a sense of better than because it costs more to afford the habit. It's exact. It's like a, a and it ra- t- rappers or hustlers or whoever that they got diamonds because they're expensive and that's that like that that same kind of status or you got that car, you know, you right. know that that cup that gives you that same that syrup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and uh you know and then you you get you get to a point where when you're pouring fours like even if you're getting it at a good price, if you're pouring a four of some good juice, that's like a hundred bucks, you know. You could probably get it cheaper, depending on if you buy it by the brick, maybe fifty bucks. But still, one cup, fifty dollar cup, like mm-hmm. that's no that's no joke. Like that's an expensive. Two thousand eleven. Uh, I remember activist one twenty for a four was thirty to line. Right, thirty a line was. Uh, I remember complaining for it going to thirty a line. It went to the fifty a line. It went to a hundred a line for the act. Yeah, now it's like extinct. So so a four hundred dollar cup. Yeah, so you're talking a four hundred dollar. Yeah, cup. yeah, it was, it, it was, it was, it was that it that over the those years as it got years, popular, right. but uh, so yeah, so I thought I was better than the the heroin addicts I was selling heroin to because my dad remember he told me never do heroin, never do heroin, never, never, never heroin. smoke that rock, never yeah, and, and I thought I was better. Oh, I, but I smoked some rock, I smoked some rock. I mean, we all we've all smoked yeah. some Scotty, rock. Scotty Scotty from my time break his anonymity. He's the one that <laughs> he got me smoking some rock before, <laughs> but uh, but um, so so basically uh. You know, like I said, I was justifying that, you know, why, why it was better. And, and I, but I remember, like, hitting the county jail, drinking, like, a minimum of four a day, you know. And eight would, you know, be catch a nod. And then I remember uh, withdrawing off of off of syrup. Oh, it's so bad. And it, it's like, like, there's different types of opiate withdrawals, but that one, well, it makes you queasy. Yeah, well, the thing is, is because you forget the promethazine, too. Mm-hmm. There's It's not just coating. It, it's, it's like it's promethazine. an achy in your stomach, yeah, queasy yeah. on top of the, like, your low back is, like, right. sore and, and the right. lethargic and right. and all that. You know, because you got the promethazine, which is a... Uh, an antihistamine, which is what basically reduces the nausea mm-hmm. and reduces your, you know, upset stomach, that type of stuff. So when you're taking that type of medication, when you're pouring a four ounce, you're pouring not only a lot of codeine, but you're also pouring a lot of promethazine into your cup. Yeah. So when you're taking that much promethazine every day, mm-hmm. and that promethazine is, you know, causing you to not be nauseous and causing you to not have an upset stomach, it, yeah, it may not be an, a, an addictive chemical Mm -hmm. but when you all of a sudden you take that away you take something away from your body that you're giving it every day Mm -hmm. that's going to stop it from being nauseous all of a sudden then you don't have it you're going to be extremely nauseous along with the nausea and all the other shit from the coating yeah yeah it's a withdrawal it's it's another kind of kick so uh but yeah it got to you know like with like any other addiction alcoholism that that wasn't enough that wasn't enough, so you know I, I need I I wanted to catch that nod because with opiates it's like you're you're ch- they like my dad used to t- this is why you told me not to do heroin because you're gonna be chasing a dragon you're trying to tr- get that high that you first got in the beginning he never fucked with heroin but a lot of his his friends did and so and I mean that's what it was I would try to chase that nod and so I, I started to have to take some narcos with it 
you know, or some Percocets with it, or some Xanax with it, and 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 then and that's what it was. And then and at the time, like I, you know, was always moving the Roxies because the OC80s were reformulated to the OPs. So, so we had yeah. so so I've heard stories uh, of my friends in recovery who used to fuck with the OCs. Mm-hmm. Some of them cried. They actually shed tears when they reformulated because it was like the end of this massive epidemic Mm -hmm. of these incredibly strong Mm -hmm. painkillers that were like designed for you to abuse. Mm -hmm. And then they changed it to where it was much harder to abuse the actual pill by the, 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 um, the formula. Yeah. The ingredients Mm -hmm. to the actual pill, Mm -hmm. what makes up the solid pill, not just the chemicals inside Mm -hmm. the pill. Yeah. They cried. And I thought that that was, you know, that, that's so true. Like people will think like, fuck, like you're just an addict, but it's like, no bro. Like when that's like your life and you're continuing to chase that. And then all of a sudden says like, yeah, no, it's not happening anymore. Mm-hmm. Devastating, devastating. Yeah. So there was, obviously there was a progression. Like you said, that chasing the dragon, like what did, where did that take you? Um, so like I said, it started to get, it's like them, some Norcos, uh, Xanax and then, uh, Roxy's. And what that take me is I was, I was starting to dip into my own, uh, uh, to my own stash Ooh. because because you know we you know was moving the scripts and everything that was another whole another hustle that was starting to really dip in and I was cool doing that with the syrup I was already dipping into that I was dipping in more it was starting to affect the hustle and um, so you know so some time progressed uh, I was like you know it's just gonna be cheaper to just do some of some heroin and uh, so like there goes back to that Earlier on in the episode, we were talking about that rationalization, mm-hmm. how it's going to save you more money. Mm-hmm. Chad, it does very, you know, in the beginning, it's going to save you. But more how money. ridiculous of a thought oh, that is! It's absurd. I'm, I'm just going to put some heroin in my body because uh, because it's costing more to do this pill. Never, I, never did the thought. I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, like, I never did like the the thought never crossed my mind that yeah, maybe I have a problem because I'm thinking heroin's a good idea now. Mm-hmm. Never, I never had that thought once. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd freaking crack the code. Mm-hmm. I thought I discovered the 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 answer. I was like, why didn't I think of this sooner? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's crazy. So, you um, dipped in dipped into heroin. Were you selling heroin at the time? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I was. So when I was locked up, I had this uh this cartel connect. Cause I ran I ran with the Pisces. I had this this connected. Uh, so I already had always had it. I was selling heroin for years prior, and uh. You know, so I just was like, all right, well, let's uh, let's uh, let, let's put some in the Visine bottle or put a little on my weed, you know, to really get this nod going. And, um, you know, but then people would ask to hit my Visine bottle or to always hit the, my weed with the with it in there. So uh, I turned into a closet smoker, started smoking off foil and uh, not telling anyone about it, not telling it or just just sharing with one person, somebody who I knew was going to get me back, you know, something like selfish and um and things that's when like things like went down heroin saved my life heroin saved my life i used to say this that that i'm gonna be a hustling ass old man like you could ask anybody that knew me scotty any any of those people that knew me like my like i i didn't have a i didn't work a regular job my job was to hustle that was all i knew and uh, heroin saved my life heroin knocked me off my hustle knocked me off my hustle but then like we were talking about this uh earlier tonight but this is like when uh you know like uh this is when like things started getting like grimy so when you said it's when it saved your life it 
basically you could not support a heroin habit I, by I, slanging. It was just physically too consuming. It, you you can't. It doesn't matter how much money or, or, or nothing. Like, you will fall off. You will fall off. If you're an addict like me, you know, I'm sure there's some addicts that will probably listen to this. Like, they, they know, you know, if you're even an alcoholic, you don't even have to try heroin. Like, yeah. you, you you will fall off. Like, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, man, that's what, uh, that's basically what happened. It ended up falling off. And, uh, you know, we, I mean, we were talking a little bit about, about uh, like, you know, the, the whole kicking thing. Like, I was, dude, I was robbing my own friends. You know, I, I was, you know, I, I, I started doing some grimy stuff and uh, uh, I became sick. And t- I, I, I came back to living on my mom's hardwood floor and that was just like humiliating. You know, my self-esteem got lower, you know, more full of fear. Like I was full of fear this whole time. You know, we we talked about it. Uh, You know, I'm going to get more into some, you know, talking a a little recovery, but what that transition looked like into recovery. And uh, like I just I was getting to be uh, too much. And and throughout all this, like throughout all this time, like I had so many friends, you know, like there's my dad and then my best friend. I had a lot of friends, you know murder od all this but a lot of a lot of my friends died along the way a lot of people close to me died and uh so my boy e cruz from the peas he's he was like my brother uh he had a syrup addiction too and uh he had his own shit that, that he had gone through his own trauma that he couldn't escape and this was in 2015 and uh it just became like like i knew he had been suicidal off and on for years for like 10 years and it just got to be too much, and he uh, he uh, he blew his brains out, and that fucked me up. And that fucked me up, and like I was just like, like whatever it was to to. I remember like being like off Xanax, like in my mom's living room, crying and crying, and like my like he was like a, a son to my mom, and I just remember sitting there like crying, dude, like uh, and uh, yeah, man, it, it was like that was getting like towards the end. I remember I remember around that same time. Scotty posting his one year chip on Instagram. And I was like, nah, this fool's not really sober. Nah. He was probably just as bad as you. Scotty? Yeah. Oh, dude. He, yeah, he, he's one of those people that is like, when I finally seen him sober, it was like, damn, if that dude could do it, I could. Right. You yeah. know? I, you know, that's the funny thing, too, about it is that, like, when you're in full blown addiction and you're in that just grimy just the end end of your addiction where you know you need to stop but you just don't know how the only thing that's going to give you hope at least you know again just speaking for myself but the only thing that's going to give you hope is by seeing another person just as bad as you or worse off mm-hmm. get the sobriety thing mm-hmm. and if they you know if they can do it I don't think if dude if, if I didn't have friends that got sober when they were 18 17 or 19 I wouldn't have gotten sober when I was 19. It makes you know that it's possible. It's probably, it's probably, anything's possible. It's just yeah. it's hard for us addicts to see that it is possible unless we see someone else do it. Mm-hmm. So you saw Scotty get the one-year chip. I didn't what, reach out or nothing. I just remember seeing that. You remember seeing it, right? So so when, when what were the next couple, like what were the next events that led to that moment, like that led basically – like when your miracle, like when did your miracle happen? So, so it w- it was between it was about a, a a year period between then. So, the miracle happened. It was literally like over like a six month period. So, so Cruz took his life in um, July two thousand fifteen, 
Scotty had got one year in uh, August 2015. So this was I I can't remember what, like it all happened. And then uh, I wasn't I was getting sick and tired, but I wasn't quite ready. And the in the in the treatment industry, I think we'd call this the pre-contemplative stage of change. Right, right. <laughs> I was I was thinking about it, but I wasn't quite ready. I was in pre-contemplation mode, and uh, so uh, that New Year's New Year's was coming up. My New Year's resolution was going to be to to uh to uh to, to get clean and um so sure enough i remember uh i was still on the run i had been on the run for like a couple of years now like um at, at that point but so i uh, i basically detoxed myself off methadone and then um i was like okay i'm gonna, I'm gonna get clean and i'm gonna smoke weed and uh, i'm just gonna i'm just gonna sell heroin and and that's how you know smoke weed and sell heroin. And and, and, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be I'm, but I'm gonna be balling out of control like I like more than I used to well, be. Well, that's the crazy thing about the heroin game too. Is like, dude, it's like you get a piece like you know you get a you get 25 grams a piece for like you know if you get it plugged up right you can get it like for 800 bucks and you can sell that like 80, 90, maybe even sometimes 100 dollars a gram all the way up. Mm-hmm. You're making you know, twenty five hundred bucks off that piece that you paid eight or nine hundred for. If you're not using it, there's a lot of money in yeah, it. Yeah, but it's, it's like, stupid. Who, but who sells heroin and doesn't use it? I did for a long time. Well, then, then you got into it. You know, it yeah. always happens. But then I did. You're, yeah. right. you're right. So okay, so then, so that's your kind of mentality. You're 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 selling heroin, and then um, I was like, I'm gonna smoke you, weed. You were smoking weed and want to sell heroin, and yeah. then um uh. Okay, obviously that plan didn't work out. Something much greater happened yeah. because now you're sitting here with coming up on three years of sobriety. No, I got three and a half. Three, uh, four. Sorry, excuse me, four coming years. Up, yeah, four years of sobriety. Uh, I think when I met you, you had almost three years of sobriety. Yeah, yeah and so you're coming up on four years of sobriety. Mm-hmm. You have an incredible job working in the treatment field. You mm-hmm. know, you are a coworker. Well, I'm probably more of like a. a a subordinate to you like you're higher up on the chain when it comes to the co-worker stand you I, know i don't want to call but, it that but regardless co-worker at you know at a treatment center and you have a very full and beautiful life so obviously the selling heroin smoking weed didn't work out no you, it, it, it didn't it didn't work out like and like i said it was like over, it was like over those those uh six months i was trying to do it my way i was going to the clinic and uh, the methadone, the methadone clinic. clinic, and uh, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I went to the clinic, and then it was like, nah, uh, I'm just gonna. Uh, I ended up using, so I was like, I'm gonna stay on, it. and it was this back, this back and forth thing. But I was trying to reach out to God because remember, I used to be an atheist when I was younger, but I, you know, I had found God. You know, the, you know, I literally experienced the Holy Spirit. A lot of spiritual stuff happened to me. You know, from 18 on, you know, when I was locked up, and uh, so I'm, I'm a firm believer in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I remember just being loaded and like studying the Bible, studying the Old Testament. I remember watching the Ten Commandments, like I'm talking like from like Genesis to like Deuteronomy, all you know, like getting really into it, but like nodding out, like smoking heroin at the same time. I almost beat up uh, this one dude for uh, putting a burnt foil on top of my Bible that I got. Wow. Shout out to uh, Jose, Chaplain Jose T. Flores from Fresno County Jail. He gave me that Bible in 2009. But, but anyways, I remember studying the, and, and, and but but it was I was I was seeking God, but that dope was blocking me off from Him. I couldn't get that connection, and that's the thing with recovery is you know you know you take the dope, you take the alcohol, you take it away from you, and it's uh but we still have things that block us off from our spiritual connection, you know, and so so I I, I couldn't get that, and 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 then finally, you know, God you know 
made his way the way the way he made it and it's it, it this is you know really painful but you know i had a little brother to me his name was michael it was my actual brother but he was like a little brother he's like a little brother scotty and uh i didn't know he had been sober he had had like 90 days in recovery uh and he, he you know he did he was doing those things that you know we tell a lot of these new people we tell a lot of clients tell a lot of people in the rooms that hey, hey uh don't um you know, try, don't put too much on your, you know, stay out of the bad relationships and don't put too much on your plate, you know. And he got right into the job and, like, had a bunch of stuff going on and it was just too much. And he tried to go hang out around some girls because the relationship was going wrong. He drank one day, used heroin the next day, and died. And that was, like, surreal to me, you know. And that was and the, it was literally just, like, d- drinking? Drinking day. one day, the next day heroin and heroin. dead. Wow. Is that fentanyl, you know, the fentanyl. Yeah, and that shit, that shit, you know, fucking... I don't know that stories like that really hit me home because you know being that type of drug addict like that could have happened to me that could happen to any of my friends mm-hmm. you know that could happen to any of us that are sober now today mm-hmm. for some reason you know we're here today by by the grace of god there go i mm-hmm. you know so um was that like your was that your miracle this- when god showed himself to you by you know, I don't know know any other way to put this, but by God showing His way, like, look, you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. That was it. And your and then your friend your friend uh, OD'd. Mm-hmm. That was that was it. But I was still in self will, as the big book talks about. Okay, so, so you, explain explain a little bit about that for the listeners. Like, what what did that look like for you? Um, I don't want to use heroin anymore. I don't want to sell heroin no more. But I want to smoke weed and drink. And so I get over to, you know, I didn't want to let go. I, I, I get over to Scotty's house. We're looking at all the pictures of well, all the, of us. The, the crazy thing, too, is like your friend who passed away. Mm-hmm. That Wasn't that his mentality, too? Like he drank? It, exactly. And he, and he died, but I couldn't see it. Right. I, I couldn't so, see it. So blocked. So in self, so blocked off from mm-hmm. seeing bigger picture. Well, the, okay. you know, the, the big book talks all about this and, uh, and how it works. Yeah. We should probably have like a big book study on this podcast <laughs> one these days. I feel like we could just spit some knowledge oh, out yeah. here. Page, pages uh, 61 to 63. You know, I think this is probably totally, like, against the AA rules, but I've been thinking about write, rewriting the big book in, like, <laughs> millennial terms. You know yeah. what I mean? It's when it says, like, Bill W. Or not Bill W. It, in the, um, I think it's chapter 3. Mm-hmm. It talks about the the um, the guy going into the bar and getting a shot of whiskey not, in his milk. Not, so what, what it was was uh, that was that was my boy Jim. That's our, our boy Jim. He, he, yeah. he, was he, was a sa- he was a salesman, yeah, a competent he, businessman, he, making he go- a lot of money. He goes to the diner and he's gonna it's order a himself sandwich. a sandwich and the milk. <laughs> but then he's like, you know what? I, I'm gonna put some whiskey in here because it's not gonna affect me on a full stomach. That is the same mindset that I'm sure my boy Michael had, going and drinking with those girls and then using and dying the next day. And that's the same mindset that I had right after Michael died, thinking I could still drink and smoke weed. That's right. that you know, uh, we get we get stuck in it, and so. Um, and so basically, uh, Scotty's like, you should come with me to AA, this and that. And I was like, nah, nah, I'm going to smoke weed and drink. Uh, and, and I go to this memorial, and there's all these people from AA, and, and, and it's it just wrecked me. His sponsor did the eulogy. Now my pastor, Jordan, shout out Jordan Deepersloot. Shout out Jordan. Uh, he did the memorial. Uh, he, uh, like, officiated it. And... Uh, I don't know what you, what the word would be called for that, but anyway, so he did the, the memorial. His sponsor did the eulogy. There's all this stuff, and and I just remember like that was the turning point. I was like, I just I I can't do this. I can't do this no more. After the uh, the memorial, I could have gone and hung out with friends who were there. I couldn't do it. I left and I just took off walking and crying 
and the emotions were, were hitting me. And this was like the most sober I had been. I just finished detoxing at the methadone clinic. Uh, June 1st was my last dose. And it was like all I had in my system at this point was like weed and alcohol. But even then, I wasn't. I didn't even drink. It was just like it was like the most sober I had been besides being locked up and like, and, and I couldn't handle the way I felt. And I called Scott. He goes, "What's up? We're going to a meeting." And he's like, "Stay sober tonight, and we'll uh, uh, I'll pick you up tomorrow." I was like, "Okay." And I go home, and I'm just stuck in my emotions, dude. I'm stuck in my emotions. Like, why? Did, you know, why did everything happen to happen like this? And uh, he told me not to get high, but I couldn't handle. It. I was crying, and I smoked a joint. And this was that was. Uh, that was June fifteenth. Was his memorial. And I uh, smoked a joint, and then I uh, I went to sleep. I woke up, called Scotty the next morning. He's like, Did "You stay sober last night?" Nope. <laughs> like, all right, I'm gonna come pick you up. And um, he came pick me up. He took me to to morning maintenance. Ooh, shout out morning out. maintenance. Man. Shout out morning maintenance, man. That shit's meaning the ass crack of dawn. God's not even awake yet. Seven in the no, morning. No, God's awake. God's <laughs> in that, and the Holy Spirit or Spirit of the Universe, whatever you believe. Uh, uh, all, all your, all your, your yeah, every sp- it's a, it's a, it's type a, of spirituality is in that room. It's a beautiful meeting, man. It really is a great way to get the day started. Mm-hmm. I think any morning meeting, there's another good one over here too, right by where I live out in Tower. But you know, you know, just starting your day off with something fresh like that. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the, the fellowship that was there at at your boy's funeral, mm-hmm. was was something that just like moved you. Yeah, was that something that like you felt like? Okay, how did that? Um, how did seeing all those people at his memorial make you want to go to AA? Was it kind of just like you saw the camaraderie? It's like, damn, he only was in there for ninety days, and yet all these people are here, like at his funeral. So yeah, it was it was like almost uh, exactly like that. Like there's all these people that obviously cared about him. You could t- I th- at first I thought he had a big ex- big extended family, but it was once his sponsor said anybody that's met Michael within the past nine, he was like he passed away at 94 95 days anyone that's met michael within the past 90 days please stand up and hundreds of people stood up wow and and um and you know so it was it was it was like a big it was like an aa memorial you know and um all and there's all kinds of pictures of of us over the years and all these people from aa kept coming up to me and was like i'm sorry for your loss all this stuff and they they could tell that you know i wasn't clean uh and uh yeah you can it's crazy how you can see when people aren't yeah yeah and they were coming up to me and everything and then i go to morning maintenance the next day and i see a bunch of them there and uh scotty kept me busy that whole day we were playing basketball like that whole late that night and that was my first day of sobriety june 16th 2016 and it's been it's been continuous sobriety since then continuous sobriety nothing that's beautiful man that's Uh, absolutely that's phenomenal yeah yeah so um and scotty you know like he it's he he bamboozled me into into recovery. Oh, I love this story. I <laughs> in, love re- this story. So this is like in the first like the first days, the first days, and we're we're hitting meetings, we're hitting meetings, and I'm at this point like I had been to meetings before. Uh, uh you know, I I didn't like into the twelve steps. I didn't want, but at this point, I'm like, you know, I'll try whatever. And uh, he uh, he told me, you know, what? well, if you get a year sober. I'll buy you a, an ounce of weed and a bottle of promethazine and codeine cough syrup, a bottle of syrup. And I was like, hey, well, you know what? I'm going to, what I can do in this next year is I'm going to prove these 12 steps wrong. <laughs> I'm going to prove all of this wrong because I'm stuck in self and I'm, you know, I'm my higher power and, and everything. And uh, so, yeah, I thought I was going to prove it wrong. But I was like, but I'm going to do this to the fullest. 
So, so I, I, I got into recovery with reservations, you know, and, and, and reservation, that's like a topic like, uh, you know, a, a lot of people have a hard time letting go of those. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, shit, dude. I think I probably had it over a year. Mm-hmm. I think it actually was right around my year when I finally dropped my last reservation. Mm-hmm. You know, being clean for my whole first year, I said if my mom ever dies, you know, because she has, uh, you know, health issues and stuff like that. She's mm-hmm. in great health right now and, you know, you know, amazing, amazing health. But my reservation was if she goes out, I will. I will relapse. If she passes away, I will relapse. And then once I gave her my one-year chip, I knew, no, this is exactly what she would want me to mm-hmm. do for the rest of my you've fucking seen, life. You've seen that emotion that she, yeah. that she had. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, you got, bamb- you got bamboozled. I love that story. I got bamboozled. Uh, you yeah. <laughs> bottle of lean and an ounce of tree. Why not? Why not? Why and, not? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I figured I'm gonna go all out, you know, and uh, so I sat at morning maintenance every day for for about a week, and I was just listening, observing. I made a couple friends, um, you know, and uh, you know, there's this old fart that sat up front Ooh. every day. He was like fucking Gandhi. Oh, that's right. And and he would just he was spit fire. He was like the realest dude I ever heard. And always uh, got called on and always had a new share to say. Yeah, yeah, and so and I think so, I know exactly who you're talking. Yeah, about. yeah. So they said they said uh, uh, you got to find you should got to find a sponsor. I was like, all right. Well, if anyone's gonna sponsor me, it's gonna be this dude. And I went over there and I you know I, I asked him to sponsor me and he told me that uh, uh, Scotty sponsor actually bought me a big book that first day at, at morning. But then like within that first week, uh, he's like uh, he told me to um, read the doctor's opinion. And uh, sure enough, that that old farty, seventy-three years old, oh, dude, I love. It. He's a father figure to me. Uh, but uh, he uh, started asking me to do a bunch of things and jump through all these hoops and do all this stuff, you know. And so, uh, and so, uh, you know, I'm I'm doing all these things. I'm I'm reading this this literature, like and like mind you, like at this time, my reading comprehension is shit. Remember, I dropped out of school. You know, and you know, for for those of those listeners that that read the big book Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a lot of big nineteen big words in yeah, that. That's, that's why I'm pushing so hard to be able to write my own big book with millennial slang in it. You know what I mean? Like instead of like, you know, was this is uh, shit. You want to know my take on that? Because I agree with that at the same time, but. I don't think we got to make it easier for them. How serious are you? What, what lengths are you willing to go? Are you willing to sit down That's a good with a dictionary and look up these words that you don't understand? Uh, so that you can understand it, so that you can find the way to live. Like that's, that's basically, I was telling my sponsor, dude, there's a lot of big words in here. I don't get them. So I was Googling them on my phone and he's like, no, don't Google them. So goes and buys me a dictionary. And says if you're gonna if you're gonna do that you need a dictionary because there's something better about when you look it up in the book. So he bought me the Webster's dictionary. It's it, like it's like the grind that you have to go through to get yeah. that definition is like so much more than the than the Google. I think that's actually really huge. I think mm-hmm. that's that's phenomenal that he made you do that because it, it really, got my reading comprehension up. Well, not all, yeah oh yeah dude it got your reading comprehension up and it really made you like work for something because yeah. I'm sure you had growing up like you know the hustle like 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 you know, you were saying like, it's not really a job when you love it. Mm-hmm. But then, so then, you know, your means of getting money, you mm-hmm. weren't even really having to work for it. So yeah. then when you, when you come into, when you come into a situation where you've got to work for something, you have to work for sobriety. Yeah. If you're not working for your sobriety, something's wrong, yeah. you know? And so he made you work for that sobriety and it, it fucking worked. It, yeah. Like, yeah. It's, you know, sitting here with sitting here with three plus years of sobriety. 
Yeah, so that's you know, just I started jumping through all those hoops, and then people would ask me like, "Who's your sponsor?" Oh, so and so is my sponsor, and then when they laugh, and then next person, "Who's your sponsor?" So and so, they laugh, and then like the third person, I think it was like Scotty's mom, so who's your sponsor? And she starts laughing, and now I'm getting pissed. I'm like, "Why the fuck is everybody laughing?" Because I didn't like understand how different, how you know, di- far we are in age, how completely different, big of a square he is. He's like a CEO and all, all this stuff. I don't know none of that. I just thought he looked good for his age and he and he was and he kept it real. Wait, they were laughing at you for having Jack Stewart? Really? Yeah. Yeah. So so, so uh, but it wasn't they were laughing, they just like didn't didn't believe it. And so Scotty's sponsor goes up to him and goes, Hey, so you're sponsoring Ronnie? And um and uh, he goes, well, I never told him I'd be his sponsor. <laughs> oh, really? He was just me, telling me a bunch of stuff to go do, and like I didn't even know what step I was on or anything. But uh, but so but, yeah, basically, um, yeah, basically, like like at that time, what life looked like was like going to three meetings a day, reading the big book, going to the gym, like just doing doing all this stuff, kind of finding like what 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 kind of worked for me. Like that's one thing is like for anybody that's new in sobriety that's listening to this is you gotta find you gotta like you gotta find what 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 your thing is you can't just sit there and do nothing all day you know like it's a you know your mind body and spirit you gotta have that balance you know and and you know for me you know uh you know for my mind of course you know i'm I'm trying to learn to understand this book you know but 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 doing doing that you know i'm trying to uh you know establish a connection with god that connection that i was trying to establish when i was loaded you know your, your, your body, you know, I'm going, I got to get some exercise, you know, I got, you know, I want to put some weight on, I was six foot, 140 pounds, right, uh, at, at that time, you know, but you start to feel good, you start to get your self-esteem up, you you know, your, you, your self-worth is starting to go up, and, and uh, but you start to feel emotions, you start to feel, yeah, and that's the bitch right there, because mm-hmm. now you don't have, dude, it's such an easy fix if you're, if you're sad, angry, pissed off, mm-hmm. to just, you know, smoke some shit off the foil, shoot some dope into your arm, whatever your get down is, and those feelings are gone. Mm-hmm. Now, you can't do that no more. You got to learn to deal with them. And for addicts and alcoholics, that's not a that's not a fun chore to do. Not at all. You know, not at all. So, you're you're now you're now you got it. Probably like a couple months sober. You got yourself a sponsor. You're, you know, you're doing the deal and really working it. You know, striving for that coating. You know, striving for that bottle in that bag. Striving. <laughs> no, no, but um, but you're striving, right? And um, what, like, kind of, what things did you have to do that like kind of set you apart from like, looking back, that kind of set you apart from like the people who don't make it the people who this is then and the reason why i'm asking this question is for any of the listeners who may still be struggling you know or are new in sobriety and don't know how they're going to get around you know getting through the next 24 hours or getting through the next month or even you know staying sober you know what what was something that you had to do in your early sobriety and or things you had to do in your early sobriety that really like solidified your foundation in recovery the complete opposite of what i wanted to do straight up there it is straight up there it is it, it was uh because because i i would i don't want to get up and go to the 7 a.m meeting every day i don't want to sit here and and read this book that doesn't make sense that i have to read five times over to understand a chapter 
you know, I don't want to do all this. I, I don't always want to be nice to all these people who I would, who I thought uh, I was better than and, and couldn't, you know, connect with. And then, and then they turned out to be my family. I didn't want to do a lot of those things, but it's like, that's the thing with, with, uh, self will. We don't, you know, that's, that's not our will. So, so for me, like the simplest thing I had to do to get into God's will, I had to do the opposite of my will. I started doing the opposite of my will for a little bit. And just getting out of self. Getting out of self, you know, and, and getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And then, you know, before I knew it, you crossed, I crossed this threshold where I wanted to do, you know, God would make it apparent what his will was, and I wanted to do that. You're our, stoked to do it. Our yeah. wills align. Our wills, wills align. And, and so a lot of newer people, like I watch it, I see it every day at work. You know, I see it in the rooms is, uh, you know, they – they're stuck in that part where it's like they don't want to do the stuff they don't want to do the stuff and they don't ever get to cross that threshold when their will aligns with their higher power that's the hard thing to see i see that a lot too at the detox house mm -hmm. it's just hard it's hard to see because it's like it's like an invisible line yeah and and they they don't know what their what blessings they're about to receive mm -hmm. dude it's almost like when you start being just a good person like you and and i don't mean like I don't mean like being, you know, like, you know, like working at soup kitchens, that type of like good, obviously like that work type of work's amazing, but I'm talking about the little things like, you know, um, my thing was public bathrooms. Like this is, this is like kind of weird, but like when you lift the toilet seat up mm -hmm. to pee in a public bathroom, mm -hmm. instead of just like leaving it down, I'm just peeing all over the fucking toilet seat. Like I usually did cause I didn't give a fuck. Someone else is going to have to clean it up, you know? doing stuff like that seeing a little piece of trash and just throwing it away you know like on the ground little something 10 seconds shopping cart moving the shopping cart into the little you know the stalls in the parking lot when i started doing little shit like that it was almost like random blessings in my life would fall into my lap There's like the friends that i started acquiring that were genuinely good friends you know job opportunities that there was no real reason why I got it other than that it just I was in the right place so at the right time all, all those, that stuff all those little things you did added up to a big thing and yeah exactly there is this older woman uh, somewhere in the rooms but I remember her saying um, it, it was like it was like I discovered fire because she, she was like well, well how do you build self-esteem acts you do or how do you build self-esteem you do esteemable acts boom and I was like what like my mind was blown like you like you know you you you're at this grocery store and you push the shopping cart back you right know, you know uh, you you let that person who's driving in front of you you you, you let them into into the 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 lane you know courtesy you do like a courtesy drive but the, all those these little things like you start to feel better about yourself and um, so yeah you know like you're talking about you know you're you're building your self-esteem right and um so yeah, man, that that was uh, a, a lot of a lot of what it was. But what what really like changed the game for me, like, um, in in early recovery was sponsorship, right? Sponsorship, and I start, you know, uh, like I said, oh, oh well, I, I I actually I can't go without uh, without without. So basically, you know, I got the sponsor, everything, and um, I like I had gone MIA to those cartel guys that I was selling heroin for. Oh shit. I yeah. bet they didn't like that very much. So they came knocking at my front door at like two weeks sober and there's like, what's up? You know, they they but they they had a bunch of powder that they were trying to front me. And I was like I had to like 
like, let me, let me get back at you guys later today. I called Scotty. I go, what do I do? He goes, you're going to come live with me. And I was like, okay. And so what I did is I, I called, I called one, uh, one of my big homies and, uh, I uh, shot him to the, the cartel. I was like, this is, you guys are going to do business with this guy. Like, I'm stepping out. And uh, I ended up shooting a couple people their way to keep that going to kind of get myself out of that. And uh, they were cool with it. They were cool with it because they... Oh, I'm sure they're, it, they're about to come up like that. Like and the, in like, the end, they're getting more, they, you know, they're, they're just, uh, uh, making more money, you know. And so and so I went and lived with Scotty and him and his wife. They literally, like, they would give me money for food, for cigarettes, to uh, ride the bus and everything. And so at that point, that was like, that was that one like the decision like okay I'm really gonna get in this I'm really gonna get in this and then so all I'm just doing is just like meetings step work church you know praying really trying to really trying to connect with God and um, you know uh, about five months uh, about five months uh, I started sponsoring this uh, th this young kid. Dante, shout out Dante. If he can stay sober till December fifth, he will have three years. Um, is that the one with the kid? Yeah, yeah, the kid. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good dude, man. I use a, I worked with him for a while. And yeah. Washing yeah. dishes. Yeah, that, that, that's that's fam. So man, and 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 just be just you know just trying to help out the next person, dude. So like, there's times where like I you know I had opportunities to to relapse and and dude, if it wasn't for like just knowing that like that this dude looked up to me and that and that you know I'm basically you know got you know I'm a guide to him you know like like what what's going to happen to him if I relapse you right. know that that's the shit that 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 kept me sober give you more accountability for sure you know that and forgiveness you know alcoholics anonymous god worked through alcoholics anonymous to teach me how to forgive dude it was like uh so like I like I said I used to you know I used to rob a lot of people and there there's this one in, in our Tuesday night men's meeting which uh, you know, and now it's a big old thing over at the My Time Outpatient. It used to be just a few of us in uh, in Scotty's uh, sponsor's living room, and uh, it, was, it should be a few of us. And uh, there's this dude; he looked kind of familiar. And really, and we we go to hold hands at the end and pray out. And he yanks his hand away, and I'm like, oh, whatever. And I started putting two and two together, and I realized about a year before, I pistol whipped this dude and rolled him out of a car for a bunch of heroin, and. I was like, oh shit! And so I, I tell Scotty sponsor, I was like, hey, hey, I I'd like fuck that dude up and robbed him, um, and it wasn't like no, like let me see your money and I'm gonna go around the corner, like you know, it was that, yeah, it, yeah. it was like strong armed him, and uh, and he was friends with dude's mom, and they like talked to him. well, dude ended up going to rehab, and uh, so I had I had my own shit like with like one of my best friends put a gun to my chest and robbed me for a bottle of syrup because he thought I was playing him. And um, I, I was like, I was out to kill that dude. I was out to kill him, searching for him. I was out shooting in front of his dad's house, kicked his girl's door at the projects. And um, so that all that had happened. And he was out for me. My He went to my mom's house, but she, my mom lived in the same apartments, but in a different apartment and kicked her window in. Like it was... We were out to kill each other. God didn't let us cross paths. I couldn't forgive this dude, so I do my four step and I'm doing my steps, and I just I didn't, didn't let go of that. But then there's that dude that I robbed. He goes to rehab and he comes out. And at that time, Scotty's wife she's letting me drive her car around and everything. I get to pick this dude up, taking the morning maintenance. I don't I had to. I got to. I got to. And he told me, you know what? I forgive you. And he forgave me, and he became one of my best friends. We'd be at the gym every day. We're at meetings all the time, 
everything. Shout out Rob, you my motherfucking brother. Oh, it's Rob. Yeah, it's a that's a cool He's ass. He's family. Dude right there. He's that's family. Cool dude. But he forgave me. And what he t- what that taught me is is dude, you can forgive. You can you know. And um anything's forgivable, man. Anything's forgivable. You know, you got to forgive to be forgave, you know? That's you know, that's uh, back to to some Jesus stuff, but right there, so right uh so Rob forgave me and then I was over at a uh, New Beginnings Church volunteering with uh, with a couple of old timers from AA from Morning Maintenance, and I was over there, and there there is this other dude that me and one of my homies tied this dude up. My homie shot him. I thought we killed him. I tied him up. My homie shot him. We were robbing the weed crop. Um, I see him over at New Beginnings Church, and my heart wow. drops. My heart drops, and and, and he's walking up. And uh, he's a lot skinnier, and my heart drops. And he comes and he tells me, hey, God put it on my heart to come over and tell you that I forgive you. And that if that hadn't happened, he would have changed his life. Because the way he was living, he said he wasn't going to live very much longer, the life that he was living. And that he found Jesus Christ through it. Dude has a colostomy bag now. His body isn't, won't be the same. He forgave me. And all this happened in a short period of time. Rob forgave me. Shamari forgave me all this stuff and it's like god i like I, I see what you're doing like you talk about a spiritual experience in my heart i hadn't forgave j-mac yeah you put the gun up to your chest and robbed you in my heart i hadn't forgave him yet and um so sometime you know some time goes on and everything and i get to sponsoring more guys and uh you know i started uh uh you know i i got the the opportunity to to run a sober living uh is that pain? No, no. This was uh, this was for Doctor Tatum, okay. First Steps, and and you know, and then and then I end up going and working at First Steps, and uh, you know, some time goes by. You know, I got like eighteen months of sobriety, so I'm running a sober living, working in treatment, uh, learning it. You know, super green, learning everything, and uh, I'm at the Fresno Fair, and I was I was with uh, me and uh, me and my ex girlfriend. We were we we're at the fair, and we were we were walking around, and we were walking around, and then uh, I look up. I look up and I I, uh, I, I see J-Mac and I'm like, what the fuck? And I told her, and like she knew who he, knew who he was because I told her, the, you know, everything about that had happened. And I was like, that's J-Mac. I, I got to go over there right now and go talk to him. And and by this time, I had forgave him in my heart, you know? Mm-hmm. All, everything that I seen God do, like, you know, like at, that, at this point, I'm over it, you know? So I, I see that she goes like she sees like some, some she sees some gangster dudes over there you know dreads and everything and she's like no no you can't go over there and I was like all right and then uh and I take a couple steps and then I was like no like I have to like God just presented opportunity in my mind I'm like God just presented opportunity if I don't take this then I'm gonna uh then uh gonna regret it yeah you know I'm uh, it's showing that I don't have faith in God. And so I just I gotta go over there. I, I walk over there, and she walked with me. Like it was cool. Like she had, she had my back. And uh, she, uh, I go, tapped him on the shoulder, and he turns around and he looks at me, and we both just look at each other, and we smile, and then we hug each other. We're both like in tears. Wow. And I told him the same thing that Shamari told me. And I was like, you know, I seen you, and God put it on my heart to come over here and tell you that I forgive you. And he tells me that he's sorry, and. Uh, and that he was fucked up at that time, and I go, no, you know, it's cool. I was fucked up at that time, but the, you know, I, basically, I found Jesus Christ, and you know, I've turned my life around. Uh, basically, that and, oh, and we and we couldn't find the exit to where her car was. 
we were lost in the Fresno Fair and we couldn't find the exit to where the car was anyway. So we we're having this moment and everything. I go, if there's any for anything I could do to help you, let me know. And uh, so we had this moment and it was just like, I was like on a natural, I was on a spiritual high after this. Right. And it just t- turned out that where he was standing, him in the little crowd was standing behind that was the entrance where her car was at. Wow. Where we couldn't find. Wow. Like, <laughs> that's a beautiful story, man. You, you know, it, it, uh, but that's truly, that just shows there's something out there, man. Yeah, dude. And it's and it's it's working in it's working in your life and it's working in many people's lives, you know. And I'd like to think that it's hopefully hopefully working in my life too. It definitely is, you man. Know? It definitely is. So you talk about that like certain things that just like are are un they're uncanny. They really are. They're just uncanny that happens in sobriety and it's like too much of a coincidence. There's too many coincidences mm-hmm. coincidences. There it is coincidences that happen in life for it to all be just just coincidences Mm -hmm. you know um if there's anything you'd like is there anything you'd like to say to the you know someone who's you know struggling who's sicker than most that's what this show's all about Mm -hmm. is those who are sicker than most anyone who's struggling that you know a little bit of like motivation that, that you haven't already given you've given so much motivation so much insight and so much experience and just strength mm-hmm. throughout this podcast this episode is there something else you'd like to add to kind of like close off the episode mm-hmm. about that's like directed towards someone who's still struggling yeah um whether you think or not you have a purpose you do that's the thing is is you know I, every day i see it especially young people older people is people they, they feel like they don't have a purpose you know, we all have a purpose. That's true. That's real. So, uh, you know, the the thing is, is uh, you got to find out what that purpose is. Yeah. You know, the we you know we go through all these trials and tri- there's a purpose why we go through these trials and tribulations. You know, talks about this in you know in the Bible, Book of James, one of my favorite books. Uh, you know that 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 you know we go through these trials and tribulations so that we may be complete, not lacking anything, mature. We grow through these things, you know. So anybody that you know that's out there that just just feels like it, you know that recovery ain't worth it, like it it is. I just I just urge you to 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 find a purpose, even if it's just to to show somebody, you know, to make somebody feel loved or like they belong, you know. Right, right. You know, recovery does have a purpose in anyone's life. If you're ever at a point. Where you feel like your life is unmanageable mm-hmm. at any point you may be able to recover it you know throughout your using and have some sustainability for a while and then it may fall down and then it may get back up it may fall down but recovery is always an option and it's always going to be beneficial if at any point in your life you feel it's unmanageable mm-hmm. so there's never an excuse not to get sober never. there's never you know it's always it's always a good day to get sober when people say there's sobriety straight. dates and check-in groups you know when people say there's sobriety dates like it's a good day fuck yeah it's, it's a good day, day. And, they, and they and they look weird at me. they look at me weird no but it is a good day <laughs> yeah. it's like that is your day dude fuck my birthday bro <laughs> july 13th yeah. whatever bro like that's what did i do oh i I popped out of my mom that day. Woo, congratulations. We've all popped out of That's our That's a good day, before. too, though. It's not that great compared to the uh, May 23rd, 2018. That's my fucking day right there. Because I worked so hard and I continue to work hard mm-hmm. 
every single day for that to be my day. Just like you. Let me see if I can remember this. December. Fuck. It's close to the mark of the beast. What is it? Six sixteen sixteen. Oh, it's June sixteenth, two thousand sixteen. Mm-hmm. Fuck, I was so off December. Where did <laughs> I get that from? December, but you know that's used to your make day. Jo- jokes about me and Scotty make jokes about me changing my sobriety date because it was too close to six six six. Six sixteen sixteen. Huh. Yeah. It's your day when you were freed from the devil, so I guess that works. It was a good day. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So is there anything else you'd like to add, you know, before we wrap this episode up? I think I think this has been an amazing episode, but if there's I, anything I else think, you want uh, to add? I think I added enough. I feel like I talked too much. You didn't talk enough, Ronnie, dude. We could sit here all day, and you yeah. could just continue to just speak just knowledge and yeah. just fire. I, I, I left a lot of recovery out, but it but it's good. Maybe we'll, we'll talk some more recovery later, or, or if anybody wants to talk recovery for me, they can, they can catch me. Catch me wherever I'm at. I love to talk recovery. You know, stay tuned to all the listeners. Stay tuned. We might have to drop a part two. We'll see. I think that might be a move. That might be a big move right there. I think we got to make that happen. <laughs> so, you know, thank you again for everyone who's listening. To all the listeners out there, all the sick ones that are listening to this, you know, I love you from the bottom of my heart. Anyone who's listening, you make this thing possible because <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day. If you're listening right now, you have a lot of power because you're turning this podcast, you're turning this podcast into just two dudes talking into microphones in my bedroom. You're turning it into something more than that. And I really two dudes, one microphone. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) No, we got two microphones. Don't trip. We're not, we're not that broke, but, um, no, you know, you really turn this into something real. And I just want to thank you all for that. Um, I always, I always like to. Oh, I guess I'll first I'll shout out everything right now. Um, follow us on Sicker Than Most uh, on Instagram. It's a Sicker Than Most podcast, no caps, no spaces. We got a Facebook group, public. It's just Sicker Than Most. Check us out. Um, you know, on both of those pages, Instagram and Facebook, um, constantly updating you guys. I also, it's an open channel for you guys to contact me if there's a guest that specific guest you'd like on the show that I haven't had already, or you want a reoccurring guest, someone that has already spoken. Um, you know, shoot us a DM, send us a message, comment on our post, let us know what's good, you know, uh, show us some love, tell your friends, you know, it means a lot. Also, I always like to end every episode with this. No matter what you've done, no matter where you come from, you know, no matter where you've been, you are lovable and you Mm -hmm. are forgivable. So Mm -hmm. never forget that. Amen. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show. All right. Take care, guys. Peace.